production. In part two of our regional Queensland series, we catch up with two business owners from Townsville who are doing big things in their respective industries. It's a balmy episode 568 of the 12-year-old award-winning small business big marketing podcast. Welcome to a small business marketing show where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Tim Reed. And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing madness. I'm your host, Timbo Reed, and I have an insatiable curiosity for uncovering marketing strategies and ideas that help businesses just like yours to grow. You, so much more importantly, well, you're a motivated business owner, ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it absolutely deserves to be. And that is exactly why I do what I do in order to help you. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. This week, we head 350 clicks down the road from Cairns to Townsville, meeting two more inspiring regional business founders who've set up businesses and lifestyles they love outside of the big smoke. We'll discover the upside and downside of doing business in regional Australia, plus you'll get all the usual marketing gold you're used to of course. Today we meet Daniel Condon, a young fellow who's on a mission to create Townsville's best air conditioning business. Not a bad place to do it given Townsville has recorded temperatures as high as 45 degrees Celsius in the shade. That's 113 degrees Fahrenheit for you wonderful listeners on the other side of the world. But first, let's meet Giovanni Spinella, co-founder of Townsville real estate agency Explore Property. Launched just five years ago, Giovanni already has four offices, including one on Magnetic Island, nice, employing 39 staff who are responsible for one in every five properties sold in the region. So let's go and find out why Giovanni thought the area needed another real estate agency, how he attracts and retains exceptional talent, and how marketing has been pivotal to his success. I started off by asking Giovanni why he decided to start a real estate business at the lowest point of the property slump in 2016. Wow. Look, a lot of people told me I was crazy to to go into business for myself in 2016. We were definitely at the bottom of the market. You know, people were backwards by a long shot. We're talking 25% losses on properties and Townsville actually had quite a lot of uh, depressed sales as well. So the market was struggling. I'm not really sure what I was thinking. I just felt <laughs> if I could, you know, there's buyers and sellers in every market and people will need help. So we just sort of t- took that on the chin and decided to, to do it. Clearly uh, good self-confidence. What, was there anything that sort of gave you an indication? Why, why did Townsville need another <laughs> real estate agent? Yeah, I suppose that comes probably from a bit of our history. My, my parents are in the building trade were for a long time. So I saw my father go through a stage of using real estate agents as we were getting older and I suppose there was a part of me that said that Townsville needed someone to come and change the status quo, needed someone that wanted to push boundaries and do things that others weren't doing or, you know, weren't doing well. So Mm. I suppose that was probably my drive and becoming a business owner in 16, uh, I was an agent for a few years prior to that as well. So I had been trying and testing a few things and I was getting some response from that. So I figured I wanted to build my business around that 
that model. You do launch in a very depressed market. You knew you were going into it. Was it as bad as you thought or did you put a couple oh, of things in place look, that to led honest, to quick success? To honest, my, my brother, who is also my business partner in the business, uh, we, re- we decided to risk everything. We sort of said, okay, we've got 12 months. We sold our cars. We, we paid our rent in advance on the building for 12 months. Neither of us had a fixed income. We, we had put all our savings into fitting out a building and we sort of said, well, we don't really have a choice. But honestly, it took, we started with no rentals, no sales. I came, you know, I was off the back of my own reputation, I suppose. I was leaning on to try and get uh, stock. And I didn't, we actually didn't actually settle our first sale for three months. And, wow. um, you know, that how's, your mi- how's your mindset in that three months? Oh, I was scared. <laughs> you know, <laughs> as anybody, there's fear there. Definitely. I was like, oh my God, have we done the right thing? And but in saying that, um, one thing that we never gave up on was that we just did more. My brother and I were like, all right, if we need more opportunities, let's go and door knock more people. We were walking flies until 9.30 at night, dropping in letterboxes. And we sort of gave ourselves an option that we didn't want to fail. And we, we knew that that wasn't, it's not in our DNA to fail, but we had 12 months to succeed. So we gave ourselves a timeline. Were you watching yourself during that time? Were you watching your brother at that time? And was there desperation creeping into the way you were operating or you kept it cool and gone, you know what? We've created a 12-month opportunity. Let's just deal with it. Yeah, I think both of us just basically realised that this was it. There was no option. There was no plan B. My brother was 13 years in the military. I got him out of the military uh, six weeks earlier to move back to Townsville to open a real estate business with me. And we sort of just said, well, this is it. We are going to make this a successful business. Don't get me wrong. We were living on Woolworths pizzas. Um, We we were living together. We combined our households to fundamentally save on everything. And the days of actually, you know, leaning on our mums for for dinners and things to to get by were very, very real. And it was one of those things that uh, we committed to having process around what our growth plan was, what we wanted to get out of the first 12 months and where we needed to be to have a break-even point. That was mm-hmm. always our drive. What is the break-even point? So, was, there, was there a moment, Giovanni, uh, in fact, were there two moments where you've looked your brother in the eye and gone, we're in all sorts here, and or this is amazing, we're going to get through here, and clearly you have. Yeah, I think there was definitely times at the start where we were doing other things, you know, cash jobs and cash jobs. If someone needed help and I would go and do a couple of hours, early hours of the morning to make a bit of extra cash. And But we were always investing everything we possibly could in our business. And then it probably got to nine months where we had reached a milestone in our rent roll that we could afford to pay a salary for. A, we didn't even pay ourselves yet. We were paying out, pay, we could pay a salary for a property manager. And then it sort of, we sort of said, okay, we've started to create an asset here. That was great. I think by November or December that year, I'd transacted about 30 properties. So tell me, 500 settlements in the last 12 months, 860 on the rental books, 39 staff. You've been in business for five years, three (laughs) offices plus one on Magnetic Island. You've got to tell us, mate, what are those two or three levers that you or your brother or someone in Explore Properties has pulled in order to get you some pretty significant success in a pretty Mm. short space of time. The three main things we do very well and what I think has been something that we drive to is, is be different, be consistent and being professional in what we do. But the biggest thing is my brother and I work the business as hard as anyone else in this business. My brother's operations and runs, you know, all of our property managers that oversees the whole business as well as total operations. I I sell full time. I have a team of my own and I also lead and uh, and our other 10 agents in the business as well. But 
I feel the same struggles. I understand what they go through. I have the same conversations with vendors and sellers. And I think that has been a real pillar to understanding our growth. You mentioned three pillars. Mm. Be consistent of message. I love that. And I get very frustrated when I see small businesses that aren't consistent in their message. And I, I gather what you mean by that is, you know, consistent marketing copy on your website and your brochures and your, and your yeah. face-to-faces, consistent branding, visual branding. What was that? We do a lot of non-negotiables. Like a lot of non-negotiables. Love it. So, so wherever I, I imagine, if I was in Townsville and wherever I see the Explore Property brand presented, it's going to be consistent and it's the same. And if that's mm-hmm. the case, then I as a consumer, I'm going to develop trust and familiarity with that brand and more inclined to use it. I get that. The other mm-hmm. pillar you mentioned was be different. Now, I hear this a lot. Oh, yeah, we're different to all the others, says, mm-hmm. you know, one business against their competition. It's yeah. not easy being different in a world no. of parity, and I would argue that it's particularly hard to be different in the very established industry of real estate. Mm. How are you different? How are you genuinely different, or is it a motherhood statement? No, it's definitely not a motherhood statement. I think what we bring as a business is not only – there's a, one thing that we've done as a business, we, we've come from the building trade or our parents have, have foundation in the building space. So we brought a lot of that education and learning to our to our agents as well. So not only do we educate them on how to sell a home, how to negotiate and just do the general, you know, day-to-day of a real estate, but it's it's the little things, understanding what, you know, building plans look like, how to have a conversation around someone about the foundations of a home, not necessarily just the sale process. Got it. The other thing we bring into it is that understanding why marketing works. You know, anyone can walk in the door and say, oh, you know, we've got to put your house on realestate.com. We're going to put a shingle at the front on a stick. And, you know, we'll get some people through the door, but understanding what actually creates momentum in marketing has been a, one of our key factors, like knowing the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think as professionals, we, we really are trying to be that professional advisor in Townsville. And it's not uncommon that I hear from myself and my agents in the business that they go to a listing presentation and the owner is blown away by, by what we bring to the table, the understanding, the knowledge the transparency and the professionalism that we bring, I think, is a huge thing. But in saying that, it comes from spending time with our agents and teaching them that there is a different way to do this. Times are changing, you know. I think we are young principals, we're young business owners and young agents, and I think a lot of us forget that, you know, everything is evolving very quickly, and I think we have evolved very quickly with the business. We take a lot of our marketing in-house, you know, we, we invest in technology that is actually supporting our business, and, and we do it ourselves so that we can control the quality as well. Yeah. So there's two aspects of your marketing. There's the marketing of Explore Property, uh, yep. getting your name and brand out there, yep. both personal brand and business brand. And then there's the marketing that you have to do for your vendors uh, or yep. for your landlords. What's mm. the most effective marketing for each of those situations that you're finding? Well, one thing for our company branding, we are very much consistency of message, like I mentioned before. And I think one thing we've done very well is that we know that there's a lot of people that try things and just give up. Like they do billboards for three months and that's enough. We have done it consistently for years, day in, day out. We invest in multiple avenues on the air. Uh, We're on the TV. We make sure that that message is consistent. So if you are looking for a property discussing your plans for your future, we will be either at the front of mind or in the mix for sure. Now, when it comes to property marketing for, for a property, 
one thing that I tell all of my vendors and one thing that I am, this is part of my role in the business, is to make sure that our marketing actually works. The, the little things like 3D tours and floor plans are, you know, those little one percenters are the driving forces of people making decisions and that's some of our non-negotiables. I love hearing the word one percenters on this show. I don't hear it as often as I'd love to, but it is because, yeah. you know, in, in again, in a world of sameness, most mm. real estate agents are doing the same thing. Most accountants, most chiropractors, most any business are all doing the same thing, but it's those one percenters mm. that can set you apart from the pack. You say you do yeah. radio ads. It sounds like you have a very deep respect actually for marketing, Giovanni. No wonder I've got yeah. you on the show because, again, having that respect is important and it's fun. You know, I get the sense that you find find your marketing fun. You're on radio, you're on TV. Again, really refreshing to hear. Do you have a particular strategy for those, what I call above the line mediums? Is it uh, awareness? So, yeah, look, we do both. So uh, radio, we do consistent message. I'm a big believer in that sometimes if you do the right message, you don't need to necessarily do a, a really strong call to action. Our results prove our brand mm. and um, so we're very humbled to be, you know, at our position in our business, being number one in our region. And, you know, we sell one in five homes in Townsville at the moment. So they're things that we know if we just be humble about it and put it out there, they will get us, people will call and, you know, we can show them how that is. But one thing that we have is a very simple slogan, choose your agent, choose your result that is across all of our mediums. And we are just giving people awareness that we are here. You know, we are ready. Are you in the ads? So we, on the radio, we do a couple of different things. So I do a real estate wrap-up once a week on the radio, awesome. which is myself talking about the market and um, our business and our team. You'll always hear me talk about my agents and that's probably been a big thing that you know our growth in our people has been about investing in our people. So that is important as well. But our message on the radio for me, real estate wrap-up, I do want to show that our business is focused on knowing the market and knowing our locality, which is what people want to know because what every question every agent gets asked when you walk in you can walk into a coffee shop the first thing someone says to me hey Giovanni how are you how's the market yeah 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 and, and how much go, am I going to get for my place yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the second I question very about selling oh yeah we talked about that three years ago when we <laughs> when we caught up here last <laughs> I, I imagine being in Townsville in a, in a regional city and accessing, you know, the TV, the radio, the outdoor makes it relatively I'm not going to say easy but easier to build a business brand and a personal brand. So I'm guessing you're walking down the street and like you say, there's Giovanni, you know, what's the market doing? So you've got this presence that you've been able to build without Mm. spending an absolute fortune. It's probably, tell me if I'm wrong here, it's been easier to do what you've done in five years in Townsville potentially than if you were trying to do this in Brisbane or Sydney or Melbourne. for sure. For sure. One thing I know, well, one thing that Santa and I noticed very early in our piece is that no one else is doing what we're doing and no one else is willing to take the risk. We would just made a plan, execute the plan, invest in it, and let the results come from that. So I think it was probably easier in a regional town because we probably have been that one that's done more. But in saying that, we are very much an agency who we, we invest in the business. We work, work very hard and look at the end of the day, we could be sitting in the Bahamas somewhere sipping wine, but we decide to work in our business and invest our rewards back into our business in our marketing. And mm. we know that that will in the future, is only going to create a reputation that is about being the leader. So, and that's what we're here to do. And that was our drive five years ago. We wanted to be number one. And you are. You're working 100% in sales. You're you're on the tools. I've interviewed more than one business owner over the last 12 years that has said, one comes to mind, a guy, Taz Morlis. Taz 
was a, a commercial painter on the Gold Coast. He still is, painting mm. all the big high-rises. His business took off to mm. a multiple of three or four the minute he got off the tools and was responsible for quoting and following up. He said mm. it changed everything. You, by the sounds of it, are still on the tools, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You're, yep. you're listing, you're selling, you're auctioning, you're doing all that. Do you ever wonder if you got off the tools and dedicated 100% of Giovanni Spinella to the business of business that you might actually be in the Bahamas this time next year? Oh, look, I think there's always a part of me that would love to not be a selling principal, but at the same time, I think there's a real connection with my people, with the team that I have here, that what we call our family is that they know about the market and I know about the market because we, I do it on a daily basis. Like it's still for me, you know, we're learning and evolving and for, I think for us to be really sharp and consistent in the market is that I need to be in that market to know what the people are saying, what the sellers are saying, what are the buyers saying. Couldn't you get that, couldn't you get that from your key people? Are you a control, are you a control freak? <laughs> I've got you. I like, to, I like to call it lead by example, but um, at the same time, yeah, I suppose I could, but yeah, look, I don't know. It's a, it's a, that's a tough question. Uh, could I oh, that's go? good. That's my job. I'd love to one day, but uh, I, 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 think, I think my team also appreciate that, uh, you know, I work on the weekends and I'm out there doing open homes and doing all those things, having the struggles of negotiations and having the, the deal with the building and pest, all yeah. that sort of stuff is just day to day and it helps me understand what they're feeling. Yeah. And I think as, really- as someone uh, leading a business of 39 staff and 39 exceptional staff, in your own words, do you have a mentor, someone you can defer to, someone who can tell you that, hey, Giovanni, pull your head in or, hey, Giovanni, have you thought about this idea? Yeah, look, I have a few things. Uh, I, I read a lot. I suppose I, I watch and learn a lot about the, the body. Uh, to, you know, I want to know about what signs to look for in my people as well if they're struggling and, you know, feeling feeling down or burnt out like they're they're really important factors to have as a business owner as well to to have that little one eye always on the team to make sure they're healthy but um i, I started in real estate as a just a, a no one really uh you know come from an, another industry that was n- not even nothing to do with property and uh the first person i actually met was tom panos Oh, that's a good get. Just explain who Tom is for the for those so who are Tom aren't. Panos was a very, uh, very successful um, partner in News Corp, or New, the News Corporation, and uh, now is uh, still a leading auctioneer and, and, that's awesome. and I suppose a mentor. Uh, I met him at a conference in my, second, uh, my first year. Uh, I actually forcefully walked up to him and gave him my business card and said, hey, Tom, I'm Giovanni. I'm new to the industry. I just wanted to give you my card and he came and gave me a book and um, he's been someone that is, uh, I, him and I resonate. Uh, That's very awesome, well together, mate. And he's been good to me. Yeah, he's been very good. I take you, a lot of his you, you are very, very big on people. What do you do to attract and retain in a regional town great mm. talent? I think our, when, when we decided to make a plan about how, what a business does, and I think this is uh, comes from a leader mindset too, something that we discovered very early in our piece is that all that people want in a business is to know that the little things are taken care of. And Santo and I have really made a decision that we invest in our people. So our proposition to a, an agent or a, a staff member is that they are joining our family. Don't worry, don't sweat the small stuff. We will take care of all the little things, especially with agents. 
even our admin support, like they know we are we are here every day to support them. And if they need more help, mm. put their hand up and we'll employ someone else. Agents perspective wise, the, the biggest drive for us is being showing the difference in an agent who has to wear costs or gets invested in. Yeah. So, uh, and that's something we do very heavily. You know, we do a lot of our branding marketing and our awareness marketing is on for our people. And we know that if we invest in people, we take the hard or the, the monotonous tasks out of it, prospect them on their behalf at our expense, they will do more, they will feel more rewarded and they will, they will also be feeling like they're part of our family and it's not, they're not coming to work. Mm. That's, that's what we love. Giovanni, uh, it's such a great story, mate. It's a rags to riches in five years. Well done to you. Uh, explorepropertytownsville.com.au is where you can find out what Giovanni is up to. And, uh, mate, you've got about four hours left in the working day. I reckon there's probably four listings in that. Off you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Always there's be closing. ABC. Thank you. There you go, team. Explore Properties, Giovanni Spinella. I had dinner with Giovanni a couple of nights ago and got to know him a little more. He is one of those guys who's always looking for new ideas and ways to turn a dollar. Very, very entrepreneurial. He's got a pizza shop in town. Plus, he recently bought, or not so recently, a few years ago actually, even bought like a dozen of those carnival claw machines that, you know, you win soft toys at and just put them around fish and chip shops around his local area. He's always looking for new ideas and I love that. I also love the way he and his brother went about that first 12 months selling their cars, never easy to do for a real estate agent, and paid their rent 12 months in advance even eating Woolworths pizza some nights in order to get a solid start. Funny he had his own pizza restaurant, he would have been eating an even nicer pizza back then. And I love Giovanni's willingness to trial all sorts of marketing ideas from radio to TV to outdoor and online. You know, sometimes us business owners get stuck with the same old marketing initiatives and as a result, get the same old results. So maybe for the next six months, here's a challenge. Allocate 20% of your marketing budget to ideas that you've been thinking of, but for whatever reason, haven't found the time or courage to trial. You may be pleasantly surprised by the results. If something grabbed your attention, let me know by calling the Small Business Big Marketing Hotline on 0480 015 150. Stick it in your phone. Okay, team, let's go meet our next Townsville business owner, Daniel Condon of Polar Industries, a 17-year-old electrical and air conditioning business with 30 staff and 13 vehicles on the road. We cover plenty of ground here, including the impact getting off the tools had on his business's growth, how he integrates constant innovation into his business and the best business advice he's ever received, which came from his auntie. Wait till you hear what it was. Here's Daniel explaining his early decision to buy a local electrical business many, many years ago. Obviously started with the air conditioning to start. Most of my competitors had to do the air conditioning portion of the contracts, then subcontract or, or employ people to come in after them and do a little bit of electrical, which obviously isn't very streamlined. Mm. Big complaints from customers. So I could then turn around and say, we turn up Monday morning, 7am, or the, whatever the system is, sort of by 10, 11, electricians wire it, it's running and you're, you're happy by 12. So it was a no-brainer. 
No brainer, mate. All, most of my competitors say I'll be there Monday. Electrician will be there Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. So, I'll mate, are you one of these? Have I have I happened upon a tradie who owns a bigger company that actually says what they will do, delivers we, what they'll do? Yeah, we are. Um, this is and, extraordinary. Bias, but uh, <laughs> we we get a lot of feedback from customers, and one of the biggest things that makes us and helps us win jobs is turning up at a nine o'clock quote at. 10 to 9 or, or 9 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, we, we call and say, hey, courtesy call, we're uh, we're probably going to be 10 minutes early and people are very shocked. Yeah. Again, yeah, it's incredible. we, we recognise that in the, as a fault in the industry and uh, I think all trade-related industries are guilty of it, so we try to be the exception and it's paid off. No, no doubt. In fact, I interviewed a fellow, Josh Nichols, years ago on this podcast who owns Platinum Electrical in Sydney, and um, he was the same. He identified the fact that, you know, tradies in general, and, I'm, you know, there are obviously good tradies that roll up on time and do what they say, but many, many don't, and it creates these gaps in the market for blokes like you to come in and deliver what would seem a fairly obvious thing to deliver. So uh, well done to you. Where'd that come from, Daniel? Is it something inherent in you around providing great customer service or have you had great training elsewhere? Um, great training elsewhere. I, I did my apprenticeship for a pretty reputable company, uh, which helped. Uh, mm. To be honest, one of the biggest things that stood out was I knew I wanted to start my own company. I figured a good stepping stone would be to get a grasp on pricing sales first. So mm. I managed a, a white goods air conditioning department within a Harvey Norman store for about 12 months just to get a grasp on reps, sales, things like that. I planned to do that for a lot longer, to be honest, mm. but running a, a white goods area air conditioning, I had to deal with air conditioning electrical companies quite a lot. And that just really highlighted the fact that a lot of them aren't reliable or good to deal with. Because yeah, we got it. Got a lot of complaints, so that sort of fast tracked me to register the business, get the cards made, buy the car, and and get out a lot quicker, knowing yeah. that uh, I could make money in that industry pretty easily. Have you got plans to own even more of the value chain, or are you pretty happy where things are at? Um, we're pretty good. Uh, we get offered uh, contracts and work pretty regularly that we turn down, just because I think we're at that tipping point. I feel every industry is different, but I think once you start getting near that thirty. 30 total staff, you can get caught up on size and turnover and lose sight of the real big picture, which is, you know, sustainable and, and make money. Uh, yep. So, yeah, we've less emphasis on turnover and size and more on efficiency and profits, which I think a lot of people don't make that uh, make that call early enough and they get uh, they get huge overnight and then they, they get broke. So, so let me just be a bit clear on that. You're less interested in increasing revenues, much more interested in reducing expenses and figuring out how you can be more efficient. That to you is your kind of uh, scoreboard. Correct. Yeah. So it's easy to get caught up and we, we, I see it often in the business circle, people, you know, at a football game, a social event, uh, talking about the growth, how busy they are, their turnover. It's quite easy to actually to to win a lot of work and be really really busy. For example, if you're cheaper than everyone else in that given industry, you probably will win most of the jobs you price. Of course. Therefore, you will be busy. Therefore, you'll expand and employ more guys. And might not be very profitable. Well, not only that, you might not make money at all and be in be slowly going broke, sort of selling yourself short. So, a good tool is if you're starting to win everything you're quoting. Maybe adjust the process and, and don't don't go in so um, hard and, and sell yourself short because it's not good to win everything. 
What's your view on discounting generally, Daniel? Do you do it or you avoid it at all costs? We don't use a blanket rule, to be honest. Mm. Uh, we do have a template for a residential style uh, quotes that go out and simply got a little blurb at the top and all it says is, thank you for your business. Uh, if we have been beaten on price, please let us know. Now, all that is is just a easy way to get an, a, a feedback from the market. And, uh, look, we often say, sorry, we don't price match because it's not about price matching. It's about letting the customer know we, we want to actively be competitive. We go out of the way to say that we're not the cheapest. We don't want to So be if they do call and say, hey, listen, I just got your quote. I've just read what's at the top of your quote. You're not the cheapest. Is that? It's sort of like putting O-N-O next to a price. Do you then reduce your price or do you go, oh, thank you. We can't always be the cheapest. We hope you find someone who can do it for the price you want. Um, no, not really. I, I do say, to be honest, a lot of times people say, hey, just to let you know, you were great. You're the only guy that turned up on time. My cousin used you. My neighbour used you guys. <laughs> you know, it, and it starts really, really positive. But we got another quote from, you know, Craig's air conditioning. Uh, he was this much less. And I said, oh, yeah, no, I appreciate the call. Um, look, we do price match occasionally against other reputable companies. Uh, however, on this one, I think that's just too cheap. I mean, I already go in pretty good on our first price, but we're a larger company. And mm. the beauty of that is a lot of times they start the conversation telling us how much they want to use us, how much uh, good feedback that we receive, and we very rarely lose a job based on price. It sounds to me, Daniel, like you work very hard at making your prospects and your customers less price sensitive by building trust with them up front. Would that be fair to say? It's exactly nail on the head. Yeah, because I go to quotes and I'm still the director of the company. My name and number goes on the quotes. Uh, if they have a question when their husband or their wife or their partner gets home who couldn't be at the quote, I always say, just give me a call, any questions you might have, and I'm happy to answer them. Mm. It's a bit of transparency. I say to people, we don't sell a product to make more money. We sell a product that if it has an issue that I can guarantee our company and our brand can not only help you through that process, but we can sort of control the timeline in which we do so. So what we sell, we're an agent for, we're a dealer for, we stock parts. Daniel, you got off the tools just one year after starting the business. How was that transition and how did it impact the business? Was it a positive or a negative? It was always going to be one of those, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I had a pretty direct and memorable conversation with my auntie, actually. Um, <laughs> I walked in there thinking I was pretty big with winning some jobs and uh, had a had a car on the way and looking at expanding the staff and she she said a phrase, um, wording might not be perfect, but it was something like, are you in business or do you own one? Uh, sounded like the same thing to me at the time, but obviously she went into depth with that saying, no, no, anyone can own a business. <laughs> it's very easy, mm-hmm. but are you in business? You know, do you live it and breathe it? Are you constantly evolving mm-hmm. and changing? And I sort of fumbled around and she asked another one and she said, so are you working on it or for it? And this went back and forth for a little while. So I learned a fair bit that day. And that's what got me. She said, if you're just, if you're doing the work generated by the brand, by the company, by the sales, then you're just working for it. You'll, you'll just continually do that. You won't get anywhere. So yeah, it was shortly after that I made the decision and worked out how long I would give it before I could go back to the tools if it didn't work. And I decided to just solely work on it. Um, and and, and did you did you find that that was more your reason for being as opposed to being a tradie? 
maybe it's a question for other people. I feel like I'm probably better in business than I was on the tools. Yeah, it, it, well, it sounds like it. You've got a pretty good business yeah. brain on you. And uh, I, I imagine, you know, it's easy enough to find people to be on the tools. It's much harder to find someone to run a business, you know, a general manager or or someone who, who's doing what you're doing now in your business. Correct. It's it's a funny thing. You learn a lot, not only about business, but uh, personalities and people alike. You've got to read people pretty well. You can have the best tradesman ever, promote him to a position of power or a supervisor and he can't deal. He, the mm. stress doesn't work. He's not logistically set up. He doesn't have the uh, the tools to deal with it emotionally. Yeah. And then it also goes the other way. You can have a guy that's not as good on the tools and then you put him in that position and he thrives. It's a personality yeah. thing and it's a, it's a, it depends on what's. I suppose, coping mechanisms they have for stress. You're talking to me off, off here about constant innovation within polar industries. You're a company that, that loves new ideas and to never stand still. What does the innovation process look like inside the business? It looks like lots of hours and lots of emails, but it's again, it's, it's not being scared to evolve or implement a change, whether it's a small uh, change within the workings of the office or it's a large change with your process that in the field but the beauty of looking at them and taking time to implement them is you have a time frame sort of mitigating risk you're looking at what you're doing what you're trying to achieve by changing that process or system and at absolute worst case it doesn't work out uh, how you thought then you go back to where you started and you've lost mm. you've almost lost nothing mm. do you have a process inside the business where all 30 employees feel comfortable and confident to suggest fixes or new ideas or does it all come from you and a couple of the more senior people? I would love to sit here and claim it for me, uh, but absolutely not. It's not me at all. It's a, it's a team environment we've built. I've got, I think we have seven full-time office staff and then another person that comes in externally once a week, sits there and sort of goes over everything and makes sure I can trust her word. Obviously, she doesn't work direct here, so all got different personality types, different strengths. So I have some people that I'll go to, I can be biased and short-sighted at times. So that's good to have that perspective and multiple people to go to. But often they will come to me and, and say, hey, here's a few jobs we should look at. The process isn't great. Here's why. And here's a solution I've thought about. Oh, and how I, fantastic. It's very, very simple, but it's a open door policy where the worst thing I can say is, mm, I don't agree and we're not going to do it, which is, again, you've lost nothing. Mm -hmm. But on the off chance it's a good system, uh, and I can see some merit, then we will 100% have a have another meeting in the office and we'll implement it. Do you know what I love about that, Daniel? Is not only can people come to you with a problem, that's really only half the problem. Excuse the pun. It's actually they come to you with a solution. You've obviously encouraged them to say, "Well, okay, don't just come to me with a problem, but you know, how would you fix it?" That's pretty good. And then obviously implementing anything that, that makes sense is another kind of confirmation that they are on the right track. They're seeing their ideas come to life. Correct. And, and look, even our technicians in the field are, are, are taught that and a lot of them uh, possess that skill naturally. They don't pick the phone up uh, in the first 10 minutes to a supervisor and just explain their problem. Mm. We say, look, just don't rush it. Just give it an extra 15 minutes, exhaust all your options on site and when you've found the problem, you know where to look for the solution and then if you need to make the phone call, you make it. Mm -hmm. Don't call and say, hey, there's a problem because I can't fix it from my office. Mm. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're on site. Give me a call, say what the problem is, what you've done to rectify it and what your suggested solution is and then we can have that conversation and I may shed some light on it 
but what you say may be perfect and I'll just say mm-hmm. to go ahead and, and, and fix the problem. Gee, it's a very mature way of doing business. How do you convey, you're the business owner, you are very clear by the sounds of it on the philosophy and the values that underpin Polar Industries. How do you convey that as the business grows and you've got 30 staff, how do you convey that they can do that on the field, that they have permission to make mistakes, they have permission to put forward ideas, they have permission to spend a little bit more time figuring out before they call the boss? Well, <clears throat> short answer, it's, it's hard at the start. I think the more respect you have from your your colleagues, the easier it is. But you know, at the start, when uh, I won't lie, when you when I first started and I was sort of twenty one years old and I was the owner and uh, had opinions and things, and yeah, people were stubborn and they didn't want to change. That was that's the risk of owning a business at at twenty one. But as time's gone on, we've matured. I have a few people here, lots of people actually older than me, but I feel like together we just work. We work well. Mm keep the energy up we do social club events i always say to people to come to me with any problem work related or not if there's something small i can do then i will Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that just builds that rapport with them where we have a percentage of what we do is is friendship not just you know a boss and a worker and that's that's important yeah got it daniel um covid came along uh, an industry yep. like yours, where you're out and about inside people's homes, people's offices, how'd that impact you guys and how are you navigating your way through it? When it first hit, it was uh, before the packages and stuff from the government, it was the scariest term that I can remember in business being we, we didn't have, you know, four or five staff. Uh, I think it was at the time you had 28 or 29 full-time staff. And I did a few quick calculations of wages, uh, ongoing expenses versus zero income. They were some scary numbers. So, yeah, short term was, was very scary and we were limited to what we could do based on the early days. We didn't know what the government was going to offer. Mm. So we simply called all the boys together for our normal toolbox talk, but we did it out in the car park you know, to keep the distancing thing together and that because we were an essential service, so we could do that. And I just explained to them that, we will make sure we can do everything to keep them employed, to keep money coming in. But until we get some assistance or something, I'm going to need a bit of flexibility with the boys. If you have to use a few hours of leave here and there to keep the doors open, to keep the you know to keep everyone going, then I put my uh, my guarantee behind that I would do the same. And uh, I think that that helped the boys a little bit. Uh, we did hear a lot of people just saying, "Well, I'm not floating wages; I'll just shut the doors." That's the last thing we wanted to do. Mm. Um, so it was just mainly I was more worried about a lot of the boys and, and the girls in the office than myself at that point. A lot of them had young families and things and they didn't know what to what to mm. do because my phone lit up with messages naturally. No doubt. Which I usually can answer most questions and, and uh, in this case we couldn't. So it was a tough time. Um, yeah, no doubt. So, you you mentioned yeah. toolbox talks. What are they? Just a, a group meeting we sit together and uh, we try not to make it a <laughs> name and shame session, but we that constant improvement that mm. needs to be uh, backed up with something and the Toolbox Talks is that platform. So we get together. I'll go through <clears throat> any things that have happened. Um, we try and not ever, again, name and shame or, or just make it about bad. If something's bad happened, we then end on positive mm. and, and say, look, guys, this is, these are simple things. Um, we very rarely get complaints from our clients, which is amazing. 
So we just try and keep on top of that training. And is that a so weekly thing, a month, monthly? They're locked in monthly. We will bring that shorter or longer if we have, say, a holiday period where people are away. We'll adjust that. And we do the same thing in the office, obviously, on different weeks, but we have office meetings. And that's a similar thing, but to go through processes. And, again, yeah. that's about fine-tuning our systems, making sure that what we've implemented maybe the month before is working. Daniel, what role marketing in polar industries? Do you have a deep respect for it and what marketing works best in attracting new business? As much as possible. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. You're a big fan. <clears throat> big fan. And look, to, in the early days, to me, it was uh, a waste of money before I knew. Someone says, Could you want to do a radio ad or a TV ad? It's X amount of thousands of dollars. I just heard that it would cost me thousands of dollars. With a bit of maturity comes that age-old saying, you've got, to, you've got to spend it to make it. It is a very true statement. There's a direct reflection between the more you spend on advertising, the more effort you employ to be on the shopping list, then the, the more you get back from customers. Mm-hmm. And we've just seen that over the years. We, I have a lot of people tell me, why do you spend that money or you don't need to? Or we recently did a, a package through the NRL and people were questioning the decisions we made but the simple fact is we've done it for a long time mm-hmm. we've experienced more growth than anyone else during that period and um it's continuing to trend that way so in, until i seen that not happen i would i would always what, what's the most effective marketing that you do is it advertising is it networking is it social media what what seems to work the best we we probably honestly get the most realistically from word of mouth um, I would I would argue word of mouth is not marketing. Word of mouth is the result of a great offer, a great business. You know what I mean? Like sometimes Correct. I think word, so if it had to be one of those platforms, I'd probably say the television. Mm. Uh, wow. One and but it works in very very well with our radio. Uh-huh. So we will work them depending. If we have a, for example, we have a call to action campaign where we have a particular date and time and a product, something direct that we want to push. You hit radio and it gets a massive result quickly. If it's more of a getting our name out there to reach a mass amount of people to keep our name relevant and on that shopping list, then that's more of a, an ad that we'll run through TV. TV. Interesting. But we always run both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and okay. That's the relationship we have with our local guys. We sort of have regular meetings. Uh, we'll push, we'll one, tell them what we want to achieve. Then they will obviously look at that and see what's what that is. Does that translate better to a TV commercial at seven o'clock at night during the footy or was that better to be ran, you know, 30 spots on a radio during the day? And we rely on their figure. And and creatively, do you guys write the ads? Do you leave it to the TV or radio network to write the ads? I'll leave that to the the more creative people. (laughs) I just play myself to my strengths and I play everyone that we use to theirs. That's a simple simple thing for anyone in business. If you want a wall painted, you get a painter. If you need an ad done, you go to creative. And if someone needs an aircon or electrical, hopefully they come to me. Go to Polar Industries and you'll find Daniel and his team, polarindustries.com.au. They're based in Townsville. And Daniel, great to chat, mate. Great business mind. Good man. Appreciate your time, Tim. Thanks, Daniel. There you go. 
Polar Industries' Daniel Condon. I love how he took lessons from his time at Harvey Norman and applied them in his own business. We can learn so much, both good and bad, from the big players in our industry. And I love how Daniel puts his name and number on every quote and encourages prospects to call him if they think he's too expensive. This is such a great way to build trust. Again, if something grabbed your attention, and I hope it did, let me know by calling the Small Business Big Marketing Hotline on 0480-015-150. Righto. Well, I hope you enjoyed this second instalment of this series showcasing amazing businesses in regional Queensland. Next week, we head 390 clicks down the road to Mackay, where we'll meet a fellow who's running a big tourism operation that's doing pretty damn well during these COVID-infected times, plus the owner of a 138-year-old construction business who's all about community. If you'd love to know how and why to create some helpful marketing, then grab a copy of my book, The Boomerang Effect, over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. I'd love to hear from you, so do give the Small Business Big Marketing hotline a bit of a tingle and, you know, let me know what marketing's working for you. I'll play it on an upcoming episode. If you're loving the Small Business Big Marketing podcast, you will find 567 more episodes on your favourite podcast app. As has been the case for the past 12 years, this podcast was presented by me, Timbo Reed. The music bed smashed together by Hammond organ aficionado and now Pink Floyd keyboard player. Hello, Lockie Dolly. And then all this marketing madness is made sense of by my producer, Romy Scher. Until next time, thank you so much for tuning in. May your marketing be the absolute best marketing. Bye for now. Listener.